You are listening to the official podcast of Refuge, where we believe all people matter to God. So Lord, we just humble ourselves before you right now. We pray that everything said and done brings you and you alone honor and glory. Holy Spirit, we give you free reign and free control. Melt us and mold us, shape us, turn us into the people you want us to be. Lord, we pray that each one of us would leave here different than the way we came, that each one of us would have our needs met by you, that each one of us, Lord, would encounter you this day. And it's your name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. So as you guys already heard, uh, this past month has been focusing on miracles, what it looks like in our life, and today's message, Miracles for Today. I don't know about you guys, but I love miracles. Is there anybody else here that loves miracles? Like honest to goodness, real miracles? Uh, last weekend, I spoke at a conference in uh, Chicagoland. So it was a four-day conference, and I can't remember which day it was, but uh, afterwards, there was a guy that's been going to this church down there. So there was, I think over the period of the whole conference, approximately 600 people that came through, but there was a guy that is a member of this church. He was a, somebody that was a missionary in a foreign country. Something happened, he got real sick. And he's been stuck in a wheelchair for many years. And so afterwards, we invited him, anybody just like we're going to do today. After the service, invited people forward for prayer. We were kind of over here. We prayed and ended up praying for the guy. And uh, the pastor, the associate pastor was on one side of him. I was on the other side. He's sitting in the wheelchair. We get done praying. And I said, uh, you know, did you feel anything? He said, yeah, I'm feeling something going on in my body. And so um, I reached out my hand and he shook my hand. And the pastor reached out his hand and he shook his, the pastor's hand. And the pastor shook his head, no. That's not why he has his hand out to him. He says, like, come on, get out of the wheelchair, right? And the guy's got this scared look on his face. Well, so I put my hand back down, and I'm not, I usually am not going to force anybody to do anything like that unless God gives me a word. Well, what had happened was the pastor had been given a vision, like, six months before this, of seeing this guy walking across the front of the church healed. So the pastor had in his mind, now's the, it's, it's happening right now. So we get done praying for him. He reaches down, grabbed him, you know, held onto his hand. And he took about three steps, and I'm, you know, he was a big guy. The guy was, you know, very big. And I'm, I got underneath my hand like this, underneath his hand, kind of holding up a little bit. And after he took about three steps, he started pushing me away. He wanted me to let go. He didn't want to walk with somebody helping him. So he's pushing our hands away. And the guy walks across the front, and the whole church is on their feet, and a bunch of people start crying. And he walks back, and he gets back, and instead of sitting back down in his wheelchair, he sits down in the in the pew right in the front row with everybody else. So, I mean, miracles happen. Jesus is alive and well. Miracles are still happening today. We see him week in and week out. It's because we have a, a God who loves us, who does want the best for us, and who is always there for us. Uh, just out of curiosity, how many people here have not heard my testimony? I know there's, a, there's visitors, but if you haven't heard my testimony, will you just raise your hands so I can kind of see? So for, for those maybe 30 or 40 people, I'm just going to real quickly I'll give you a Cliff Notes version of uh, the big part of my testimony. So in 2006, I traveled around the state as a mechanic. I did on-site diesel repair, and I was working down about an hour from here in the lakes area. I ended up going underneath a large semi-truck that had been jacked up in the air, and the guy had jacked it up on the passenger side underneath the axle. This axle's got 10,000, 12,000 pounds of weight on it. The front passenger side wheels removed. It was a conventional. It was a long nose. So in other words, it has a hood. He had jacked it up. He had removed that front passenger side wheel. I went underneath the truck on a creeper, and uh, it didn't have any jack stands, no blocking of any type. I'd seen it. I went under there. I I chose to go under there. It was my own fault, and 
I said to him, get up inside the truck. If it's up to, it, the engine is sitting there running. We're testing the repair that I had just finished as far as on the engine. I slip underneath. What happened was the truck ended up falling off the jack and fell across my midsection because that axle was maybe just an inch above me. So it fell across my midsection, this 10,000, 12,000 pounds of weight, about this wide, about the space between my ribs and my pelvic bone, fell through me, hits the cement over here. It's coming up at an angle because this driver's side wheel is on. And I literally got crushed, guillotined in half. And so I was approximately an inch thick on the uh, inch of space between the bottom of the axle and the cement. The creeper that I was on was a, a plastic hollow core creeper. It just got flattened out to nothing. So about, there's about an inch of space between the bottom of the axle and the cement here, and there was about two inches of space between the bottom of the axle and the cement. So I was thinner than my vertebrae, my vertebrae, two vertebrae broke in the width of the axle. Spleen, pancreas, intestines, everything was crushed, everything was damaged. I ended up spending the next year in the hospital, in and out, I'd get out for a week or two, go back in for months, get out. Uh, ended up having a, when the truck fell on me and I got crushed flat, I just called out to Jesus. And I said, Lord, help me. And at the scene of the accident, I ended up bleeding out. I bled internally until my heart stopped. So at the point that uh, my heart stopped, my spirit left my body, and I had one of those out-of-body experiences. So I just watched everything from above at this point. I could see this accident scene below, watched the emergency workers doing their stuff down there, and uh, there was a huge angel. I had said, Lord, help me. He sent two angels. There was a huge angel on each side of my body, and they had their hands in the middle of that, that channel. Literally, it looked like a cartoon. It was cartoonish. I mean, my work uniform went here, it went down, it went flat and came back up. And the angels had their hands in the middle of that area. They were emanating white light. They were just glowing. There's been several reenactments of my accident done in Hollywood uh, from History Channel, Discovery Channel. I mean, all different, all different Christian shows. And they never get the angels right because the angels didn't look fuzzy or cloudy. The angels looked solid and real, just as real as the truck or anything else there. So they were ministering to my body. I'm watching from above. My spirit had left my body, just watching the whole thing happen. A Christian, two-month-old baby Christian, showed up at the scene of the accident, one of the emergency volunteer fire department people, and she, I watched from above as she prayed me back to life. I didn't know it at the time that's what she was doing. All I saw her was doing was this. She was patting me on the face and saying, open, open your eyes. There were guys standing next to her saying, he hasn't had a pulse for several minutes. He's dead. She didn't care. She just kept saying, open your eyes, open your eyes, and patting me in the face. She prayed me back to life. Inside her head, she was praying, and my spirit came back into my body. And I, like I said, I ended up spending the next year in the hospital, five operations. And uh, God did a lot of miracles in that time. There was, my spleen was healed. God healed the spleen. God healed the pancreas that was badly damaged. Almost all of my small intestines were removed. So multiple, multiple miracles. My back got healed. My vertebrae and my back were healed. They said I'd be on a 10-pound weight limit the rest of my life. I started out with a walker and then went to a cane, and now I walk normally. I can run, play with my kids, do whatever I want, ride motorcycle, drag a deer out of the woods. I mean, I'm, my God healed completely my back. He completely healed my back 100%. And so my intestines that were, uh, the intestines that were moved, I had just two little pieces left that they sewed together, not enough to sustain life. They gave me about a year to a year and a half to live. I'm starving to death in the hospital. I lose 60, 65 pounds. So if you picture me 60, 65 pounds less, I look like somebody straight out of concentration camp. You can see every bone in my body. And it does, at that point, God sent a man from across the United States, woke him up two mornings in a row. He came from across the United States and prayed for me in the hospital in Madison Trauma Center where I had gotten med flighted to. 
prayed for him in the hospital, and God did a creative miracle, totally proven by CAT scans and x-rays and doctor reports, where I got several feet of small intestine that came out of nowhere, instantly appeared. I felt it come back, and it's all there. It's on the upper GIs. It's on the CAT scans. It's on all the, the radiology reports. Literally a creative miracle. So God does miracles. And because of the way our ministry started, because, I mean, that's, that's really what started the ministry. That's what, you know, after I got out of the hospital, even before I got out of the hospital, we began to, uh, you know, start the process to start Sweet Bread Ministries. And so January 1st, 2008, so a little over seven years old the ministry is, and we've been going around the world praying for people. And we see, just like last weekend, I'm just, that's just one miracle we saw last weekend, but we see God do things like that. God do actually do the miraculous as we travel around, share the testimony, minister, and preach because God is a God of the miraculous. Amen? And I just, I just expected it. I mean, because the way my... The way God brought me back to life, I was dead. He brought me back to life because the way it all started, I just expected that everywhere we went, God was going to do miracles, and he has been doing them. Uh, Jesus tells us some things in John 10, John chapter 10, verse 10. And just, he just basically says this, that the enemy, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to this earth that we might have life and have it to the full. And in, depending on the version you read, the abundant life, right? So the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that we might have life and have the abundant life. So just from this one small verse, we see some things. Jesus tells us who the author or cause of bad things is, right? The enemy, the devil. He's real. I know even sometimes it's, I'm amazed as I travel around. I even talk to Christians sometimes who say they don't believe in the devil. The devil is alive and well. He's real. He's not anywhere close to as powerful as God is, but he is alive. And he is well. He's in business. He's still doing the same old stuff. The Bible says we're not unaware of his schemes. He's been doing the same old crap from the beginning, and he just continues to keep doing it. That's one thing that Jesus lets us know, who the author, who the cause of all the bad things in life is. You know, and sometimes, if we're honest, right, our own choices, our own decisions, we have consequences. We can make a bad choice. We can make a bad decision. We have consequences to pay. So we can't always say the devil made me do it, right? Just saying that. So something else he says Something else that he tells us, it's what his will is for our life. His will for our life is that we have that abundant life. If you look up that word in the Greek, that abundant life, zoe, um, it describes a God-type life. I know it's hard to imagine, but that's what it describes. It, it describes a life that is complete, full, not lacking anything. In fact, an abundant, overabundant-type life. That's what kind of life that God said he has is, he is came that we might have. So he came... He died, he rose again, he conquered sin, death, sickness, the devil, so that we can have and live this abundant life. Does that make sense? So we should expect it. If Jesus said it, then we should expect it. Um, we should expect it in every sphere, every area of our life. So there's a book, there's a book table back there. My wife is going to be back there after the service. There's a green book on the table. Actually, I grabbed one, A Miraculous Life. So in that book, the Lord gave me some revelation from the Bible. And one of the things that he showed me was we basically have five spheres, five areas of our life that we can have troubles in. Five spheres that cover every single area of our life. And we should expect that God wants to do the miraculous, live the miraculous, so we should have that victorious life in every sphere, in every area of our life. So just going down in no particular order. So emotional sphere, the, the stuff on the inside of us. Everything's going on the inside. The emotional... Uh, giants that we face. So an example, what does that look like? So two weeks ago, 
I was doing a conference in Minnesota, and a lady came forward after the service for prayer, and so she came, and it, it looked like a husband and a wife and a child, I think two children, and so they came forward, and the lady had some physical pain, and we sat her down in the chair, and we began to pray for her, and we prayed, and it just stopped. I mean, it just it wasn't going anywhere. She said it got a little bit better, but there was no more improvement. She was still in pain. So I stopped, and I began to pray and ask the Lord, you know, what is the holdup? What's, what's preventing this from this miracle healing? What's preventing it from happening? And as I prayed, the Lord just put on my heart that she had some deep, deep, deep-seated emotional wounds that she was carrying around a lot of grief. So I said to the woman, I just said, we stopped praying. I just we had a little group gather around. I just stopped praying. I said, ma'am, I feel like the Lord is telling me you've got some deep-seated emotional wounds that you're carrying some, you know, some inner grief and pain inside of you. And the Lord says that he, I feel like the, Lord is, the Holy Spirit, the Lord is telling me that he wants to heal that before we pray anymore for the physical stuff, that he wants to get down to the root of the issue. She begins to cry, and she said, yes, my husband died, I don't remember, eight years ago, ten years ago from cancer. She said, I'm a nurse and she said, I had to watch my husband die in the hospital. We were Christians. We were praying. And yet my husband died of cancer. And she said, yeah, I do have deep emotional wounds. And she said, since then I've become remarried. So this guy who was with her now was her husband, but he's a second husband because the woman had been remarried. And um, she just, I mean, she really broke down. She was crying really hard. It, was on a, it wasn't the last service. It was the second to last service. And we ended up praying through that. We ended up talking about that, and you could see the look on her face. You could see that after prayer, after she allowed God to really come in and minister to that deep emotional pain, that she was receiving deliverance, that she was receiving freedom from this bondage, right? So she had an emotional giant in her, the emotional sphere of her life. She had something that was causing her a lot of grief and pain, and it took God to come in there and remove it so that she felt better. So we can expect God to do miracles, Today, right here now in our the emotional areas of life. And by the way, after, as soon as, as soon as we got done praying through all that, her physical pain was gone as well. We didn't even have to repray for the physical pain. That left as soon as the stuff on the inside got healed. So another area, financial miracles. Financial miracles. So God wants to be a God of the miraculous in our finances. What does that look like? So I'm just going to give one example. Right now, uh, Sweetbread Ministries, the Lord put on my heart last year that we were going to, that Sweetbread Ministries was going to be able to go to Israel this year. That it was going to happen. I didn't know how it was going to happen. He said it was going to happen. And uh, I sent it out to the prayer warriors, the people who are on the prayer warrior list of our ministry, which there's you know, a few hundred people on this list that are praying for the ministry. And the Lord said, just send it out to them. Don't, don't open it up to anybody else. It's for Sweetbread Ministry people. So I sent it out and just said, you know, Pray about it. See if God wants you to come. So I talked to a couple different people. And uh, I talked to this, this gentleman that I thought was going to go. And he really wanted to go, but his, his wife was a little bit apprehensive. So when it was all said and done, when it was all said and done, he ends up calling me up and he says, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to go. I'm, I'm not going to go, he said. But what the Lord put on my heart is that there's somebody who wants to go, but doesn't have the extra money for it. And it's, I mean, we're talking like, uh, let's say, you know, 3000 some dollars, 30-some hundred dollars, just under $4,000 when you put it on the insurance and all the stuff. And he's like, there's somebody that wants to go. And he said, the Lord, as he said, as I was praying, the Lord said that you, me, Bruce, would know who this person was. 
and I'm supposed to send you the money, and you're supposed to give it to them so that they can go. And he said, do you know who the person is? And I just quieted myself. I instantly knew, but I just, I still, I quieted myself, and I prayed, and the Lord said, this person. And so, come to find out what this person, this, this person who's actually in here today, that person, what they had been doing, they had been praying, telling people verbally, God is going to make this happen. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I'm going to get to go. I'm believing. I am trusting. I'm standing in faith that God is going to do this. I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And that's exactly what happened for this person. See, God wants to be the God of the miraculous in our financial area. I mean, right there was a dropped right in this person's lap, $4,000 gift, because she believed that God was going to do this for her. Does that make sense? See, this is like right now. This isn't stuff from the Bible 2,000 years ago. This is right now. God is a God of the miraculous right now, right here today. Amen? God wants to be the miraculous in the physical areas of your life. So again, I just wanted to sh you know, share just a couple testimonies from each one. So uh, the same two weekends ago at the conference in Minnesota, there was a gentleman there who had had a stroke. And because he had had a stroke, he had an arm that was messed up, a leg that was messed up, and an eye that didn't work right. So for him to be able to drive, he had to use a patch because he saw double. So he couldn't, he couldn't drive without having this patch. And even then, he's just driving with one eye. And driving with one eye affects your depth perception. It's, it's not safe. He had said he didn't know if he could even uh, go back and get a... Um, get his driver's license, like re-upped if he had to, because he had had the stroke since he had just had his, he had his driver's license renewed, has the stroke, hasn't had to go back in and try and get his license renewed again, right? So he's afraid if he, when he does go back and have to renew his license, that they won't even give him a license he's afraid of. So we're talking about, he comes forward, he stays afterwards, we pray, him and his wife, and uh, literally, I looked in the man's eyes. He was about, you know, I was looking up at him. You could see, you could literally see the eye was, that was, it was not working right. It was actually doing this. It was kind of moving a little bit, and it was off. It wasn't straight, right? And so we prayed, and the guy's eyes just went straight. I, I'm looking at it. I mean, he had his eyes open. I watched it move, and it goes straight. And I said to him, he was faced like this, facing the screen. And I said, well, how's your eye? I mean, what, what do you see? Tears begin to come down his face as he said, my eye is perfect. I don't see double anymore. He said, I can see perfect, absolutely perfect. And he's just looking up, and he's looking around, and he was like kind of in shock. His wife is just bawling. He's crying. And the few people that knew them were very, you know, obviously emotional, excited. They ended up staying for, you know, however many hours that we prayed for people. They ended up staying and being the last people at the place. And so when we left and, and walked out to go to me and the pastor were going to go to lunch after the service. They were walking away in front of us, and I hear him say to his wife, I'm driving home, right? <laughs> I'm driving home, he says, because obviously he didn't, use, he didn't get to drive home, right? And he doesn't, if he is driving, he doesn't have to use a patch. He can just look, not see double. See, God is a God of miraculous right here, right now. It happens all the time. God is a God of miraculous in the spiritual spheres of our life, spheres of our life. So, we talk about emotional spheres, financial sphere of life, physical sphere, the, spir the spiritual sphere, and relational spheres. So God is a God of sp is spiritual, spiritual miracles in our life. He said the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's a spiritual enemy. He is all of our spiritual enemy. So last weekend, again, just, I just thought I'd use fresh, right, like right now testimonies. Last weekend, again, at that conference in Chicago, the, uh, at the end, come forward for prayer and this lady, I was right about here. Lady comes forward and she says to me, I've, I'm an alcoholic. She said, I drink every single day. I've been drinking every single day for many years. She said, no matter how much 
I pray no matter what happens, I can't, I can't shake this. And we talked about a lot of things. She said, I heard your testimony that you smoked pot every day for 20 years and you were involved with drugs and alcohol. I read your book. She said, and so if God can set you free, I believe he can set me free. You know, can you pray for me? And so like literally like right about here, we're praying. And I sensed that it was not a physical problem. I sensed at that point, God gave spiritual discernment that this was a spiritual issue. Literally, if the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, there's a thing, demonic oppression. She had demonic oppression on her. Some of you are familiar with the term deliverance. It means to be delivered from the de demonic. It means to be delivered from the demonic oppression. So we start praying, and uh, she starts twitching around and moving. Uh, someone could use the word manifesting in strange ways. And so it wasn't uh, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It was a manifestation of this demonic power that was literally twisting and turning on her. So all of a sudden, she goes and she goes, oh, I've got so much pain. All this pain just came right underneath my arm right here on the, on, uh, let's see, it was her left side. She goes, oh, it hurts so bad. It hurts so bad. She goes, I think I can even feel something there. So I had the prayer team with me. And so there was a woman from the prayer team. And I said to the lady who now is standing on this, uh, the prayer team woman, I said, will you just put, her, put your hand wherever she says it hurts? So she puts her hand underneath this lady's arm, like right here. I put my hand on top of her hand, and she says, the lady, the prayer team lady, she says, oh my goodness, I can feel something moving around underneath your skin. Now, I don't know if you guys, if, I know uh, there's probably people here that experienced seeing this, hearing about this. We've seen it before. We've watched, it looks like a golf ball moving around underneath the skin as literally a demonic is manifesting and just moving around and doing its thing, and it's causing pain. So this lady's bent over in pain with this demonic attacking her, and it's trying to stop her from getting set free. So she's keeled over right about here, holding like this. The lady's got her hand. And I think it was probably the first time she had felt that because her eyes were really big. And she's feeling this thing moving around with her hand. And so we began to demand and command in the name of Jesus for her to be set free and for this thing to leave her and to go. So at a point, all of a sudden, she kind of squeals a little bit and just drops because it was set up just like this. And she just slumped and fell. And she's just laying there face down like this like looking unconscious type look. And so we just, you know, covered her up. They had a blanket. They covered her up and we just went on. She called me this Friday. So that was last, uh, I don't even remember if it was what day of the conference it was, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever. But she called me this Friday, so two days ago, to let me know that for the first time in many, many, many years, she's, she's completely sober. She said she was a daily drinker, got drunk every single day. She said she has not had a drop to drink since the day we prayed for, not one single drop to drink. She went home that day, poured her wine and different stuff, alcohol down the sink. She said she did it before, but she'd always go and buy new stuff the next day. She said she'd done that plenty of times, but she said she hasn't had a drop to drink. It's been years and years. She doesn't feel a craving to drink. She's a completely set free woman. See, Jesus comes to set the captive free, amen? One of the things that he wants to set us free from is spiritual bondage. She had a spiritual giant she was facing, and God came in and did a miracle in that sphere of her life. So, uh, last thing, relational miracles. God wants to be the God of our relationships. God wants to be the God who reaches into our, every area of our life, and including relationships. I mean, I know that uh, Earl and Denise wouldn't mind me saying this. So you've got a husband and wife here who had gotten married, got divorced, years, 13 years. 13 years go by, and they come back together get remarried. And they'll say that their relationship is stronger now than it ever has been. See, God is a God of the miraculous, right? Amen. God is a God of the miraculous in our relationships. That's what he wants. 
Uh, just another one, I mean, current, this last weekend. Because it was a, a several-day conference, there was different times where we had breakout sessions. And so I was in a breakout session where I was speaking, and I don't know how many people were in my breakout session, maybe 40 or 50 people, something like that. And so as I'm speaking, talking about this certain subject that I was teaching on for, the, for that you know, hour and a half or two hours, Every time my eyes would get by this one guy, and he was sitting there, it looked like with his girlfriend, or his girlfriend is what it turned out to be. Every time my eyes would get to him, God was telling me things about him. It's some people use the, it was words of knowledge, but some people use the word like reading their mail, whatever. And God was telling me about what that guy did last night. God was telling me about where that guy was in his life. I mean, just specific things about this guy. And so he's, every time I would get to him and the Lord would say something, I would use it in whatever I was speaking and say it to the group, but then I'd come back to him and look him in the eye to let him know that I knew what was going on, right? So he was a prodigal. He was completely prodigal. He had, been, he had run far away from the church and stayed away from the church, and I had no idea what he was even doing there that day because the night before, he had been out partying. And just, I mean, the guy was into drugs and alcohol, just the same life that I had lived for 20 years. He's living it. He's right in the middle of it. He doesn't, he's not a believer, doesn't believe in God, and so I just kept going back to him. So when it got time, when it got time for the end of the thing, and, you know, the clock dings or whatever, and it's time to stop it, that guy got up and ran out of there. I mean, literally, he was the first one out of the door, right? He was, no way was he going to talk to me or even get by me. I mean, he ran out the door. So what I find out a little bit later is he runs out the door. There's somebody else at this church. So it was the first time he had stepped foot in a church. He was in his mid-20s. First time he had stepped foot in a church since, you know, a, a young teenager. His mom had come to the Lord. His mom had been praying for him, but he had completely torn ties with his, with his family. He was like full-blown full prodigal, and he goes running out. Well, there was a guy at the church who the Lord had put on his heart that he was supposed to pray for this young man. So he kept inviting him and inviting him and inviting him, and he wouldn't come and he wouldn't come. So finally he said, you know what? Would you come listen to a story from another old dope smoker like you? And, you know, that it would just, would you come listen to this guy that got crushed by a truck? And it's not preachy, it's just talking. Can you handle that? And the guy's like, I guess. So he, that's why he was there that day. That's why the guy shows up, right? So he runs out, but he's, God stirred him up, right? He realizes God was like talking to him, talking to him, talking to him. So he runs out the door, happens, and, you know, however, several hundred people, happens to just run into this guy who's been praying for him, who grabs him and says, are you ready to receive Jesus today or what? The guy's like, he doesn't know what to do. He's crying, and they prayed, and he received Jesus out in the hallway as he's trying to run out the back door of the church. And, you know, this big, huge complex of a church, like, very sprawled out. And the guy was, like, trying to make it out the, out the hall, out the back. This guy stops from the hall. He says, are you, are you ready or what? So God had prepped him, primed him, right? He receives it. So he receives Jesus. So now there's a, a, a large meeting, and at the end of the meeting, I'm standing in the front, and the Lord begins to give me some words of knowledge. And there was this blonde gal, like, right over here, and the Lord said, you know, called her out, and I said, you know, you've got a prodigal in your life, and uh, there's, there's somebody that's hurt you badly, and God, <laughs> and God uh, says he wants to restore this relationship, right, relational spheres. God wants to restore this relationship, and so um, she's crying, and she's saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, lo and behold, guess who it was? Mom of the guy. So he's over here. He can't handle it. He's over here with his girlfriend. He can't handle it. He breaks down crying. He comes running up next to his mom, and he goes, it's me, it's me, it's all my fault. I'm the one, I'm the one, right? So God had like totally prepped him, primed him, and so we continued to pray. We prayed about drug addiction. We prayed about, you know, God getting him, and he, he came back 
every service he was there, you know. And what happened was, now mom is sitting with them. They're sitting together. See, relationship was restored. God wants to get into our relational areas, the relational spheres of our life, and restore relationships. He's a God of restoration. Jesus came to restore relationship between us and the Father. Amen? Right? So we look at all these things. We look at all these different spheres. We look at all this stuff, and we can say, God is a God of the miraculous here and now for every sphere, every area of your life. He's just desiring for that to happen. When you go through the Gospels, we find that there are 35 recorded miracles of Jesus in the Gospels, 35 recorded miracles of Jesus. And it's interesting because in the book of John, in fact, John chapter 21, verse 25, I believe it's like the last verse in John, the Apostle John says there are many, many more things that he did, many, many more miracles, much more than the 35 that are recorded. But, in fact, he says, uh, if the whole world would not have room enough for the books that could be written of the stuff that he did in those three years of ministry. That's what John said. The whole world wouldn't have room enough for the books that could be written about the miracles that Jesus did in that time. So in other words, Jesus was living that miraculous life 24-7, constantly, nonstop, and it was just miracle after miracle after miracle. And yeah, he'd go away and he'd pray and get his quiet time, but he was always back in, miracle after miracle, living the miraculous life and sharing that with other people. So this, it begs the question, why does God do miracles, right? Why does God do miracles? Well, there's several reasons. Um, number one, in, I guess maybe in no particular order, but the first one I'm going to say, they prove he's God. They prove that God is real. When miracles happen, it proves that God is real. In fact, Jesus said in John 10, 38, even if you don't believe what I'm saying, I'm paraphrasing, but basically says this, even if you don't believe what I'm saying, at least believe that I'm sent from the Father because of the miracles. So Jesus himself said, even if you can't believe the words, even if you can't believe somebody talking about Jesus or Jesus talking about himself, even if you can't believe that, that he's God, at least believe it because of the miracles that happen, right? So what that forces the atheist, the agnostic, someone who isn't a believer to do is say, they have to make a decision about the miracles. And so either they say, oh, this miracle is fake, which I get plenty of emails and phone calls and nasty stuff from people around the world that say that my story's made up and all that. And it's like, really? My story's made up? Yeah, I just came up with these scars somehow. And that, that year in the hospital I spent there and all the other stuff, yeah. Which obviously gets my goat a little bit. But, um, you know, if we say that miracles don't happen, if we're saying that miracles aren't real, we're having to put our heads so far in the sand and, and we're, we're having to deny the, you know, because then you're going to have to say, well, what about the CAT scans? And it's, I'm not just my story, but like, what about the guy walking? You know, what, so two weeks ago at that church in Minnesota where the, uh, the guy that had the stroke got his, got his sight healed and everything, it was interesting because there was a young man that came forward, interrupted the service, and called me out and said I was a scam in front of the people there that were there for prayer. And I mean, he just, he just read me the right act. And he's got his little phone there, and he's got his pictures, and he's like, well, if God's real, how come there's orphans that are starving? See this picture? See this picture of this orphan starving in, in Africa? If God's real, how come orphans are starving? I said, well, you know, that's a good question. I said, I gave away the equity from my home to build two orphanages. What did you do? We're our hands. He said, Jesus said, we're the hands and feet. We're the hands and feet. If we're the hands and feet, what did you do? You can say that all you want, but what have you done about it, Right? And so he, everything, you know, we just went back and forth, back and forth. And the guy that had the healing with the eye is like standing right next to him. And he says, have you heard of the, this, this young guy? He's like, have you heard of the placebo effect? 
That's when you just trick people into thinking that they're getting healed because you tell them they're getting healed. He goes, that's all that's happening because he was watching all the people get healed. Because that's all that's happening. These people are just getting tricked. The guy is just furious. The guy that got healed from the stroke, he grabs the guy by the shoulder. He grabs because he's right there. He grabs him. He says, hey, kid, look at my eye. Look at my arm. Look at my hand, my leg. I didn't take any sugar pill. See it? My arm, my eye is working. Miracles are real. See? But we get to make the choice, just like this young guy who could, I mean, right there is a man that has an eye healed, a leg healed, and an arm healed, and yet he still will deny or twist in his head that it wasn't somehow real, right? We get to make that choice. We get to make the choice if we're going to believe it. Jesus said, don't believe the talk and at least believe for the miracles, right? Corinthians 4.20, 1 Corinthians 4.20. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power, NIV, but of power. It's not just about just the words, but God has got power to back it up. See, another reason why God does miracles, and I think the main, one of the main reasons why God does miracles is simply because he loves us. He loves us. It says in the Bible he has compassion. He has compassion on us. And so, why miracles? Well, why does God do miracles? Lots of reasons. Are they for today? I hope after just listening to some of these testimonies, you'd agree with me they are for today. Exodus, Old, Old Testament, Exodus 15, 26. God calls himself a covenant name, Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha. It means I am the Lord God that healeth thee, present tense. Psalm 103, David speaks, verses 2 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that was in me. Bless his holy name, who forgives all my sins and heals all all my diseases. He's saying God heals all of his diseases, and that's for all of us. It's prophetic for all of us. Somebody came to, a leper came to Jesus in Matthew 8 and said, Lord, I know you can heal me if you're willing. Jesus corrects the man's theology, and he says, I am, I am willing. He tells him he's willing. Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14, gives us the blessings, talks about the blessings for the children of Israel. Gives us the blessings. And then verses 15 to 68 talk about the curses. If you read that, we talked about these five spheres, right? These five areas. If you read that, you can see in the blessings how it affects all five spheres, all five areas of our life, the blessings of God, the miraculous, abundant life of God affects all five areas. But you can also see in 15 to 68 in the curses how that affects all five areas of our life in much more detail. Galatians, here's the good news, New Covenant, New Testament. Galatians 3.13 it says that Jesus becomes a curse for us so that we don't have to take the curse. So all those curses listed in Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 to 68, we don't have to take those curses. It says the curse of Egypt. In these five areas, we don't have to take those curses because we get the blessings because Jesus became a curse for us. 1 John 3, verse 8, Jesus came to undo the work of the devil. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said he came to undo that work. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. So the same Jesus that was doing miracles 2,000 years ago is still doing them today, and he's going to continue to do them forever. Amen? Today and forever. Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord your God, do not change. So the God that did miracles back in the Bible is the God that still does miracles today because he doesn't change. Miracles are for today. Well, how? How are these miracles coming about? Well, there's lots of ways. We you know, we can lay hands on people. We can anoint with oil. There's lots of ways that miracles happen. Uh, that book, this book, A Miraculous Life, 
the five spheres that we talked about, the areas that we can have problems, well, God has also given us five areas, five weapons, five basic types of tools that we can have a victorious life. And so uh, faith, faith is a weapon. The word is a weapon. Praying is a weapon. Praising God is a weapon. Authority is a weapon. These five different types of weapons that God gives us so we can live this miraculous life, right? But today, right now, I want you to focus on this. I want to, I want to like... This is the main point that I hope you walk away from this message today. Uh, let's just go to this. Let's read Psalm 91. Psalm 91, verses 1 through 6. Psalm 91, verses 1 through 6. You can follow along with me. I'm going to, you know what? Actually, it's in the same version I've got. So let's just, let's just read it all together. So just read with me. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. So we look through these verses, and we see some interesting things. We start right out at the very beginning, and it says, He who dwells, and this is what I want you to walk away with today, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, will, NIV says, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty, but the King James, the New King James says, will abide. And I actually like that word a little better. He who dwells, in the shelter of the Most High, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Abiding and dwelling are very close. They're very similar. They say pretty much the same thing. It's talking about an intentional choice. Now hear me. This is talking about an intentional choice and decision that we make, that you and I, we can't make it for anybody else. We can only make it for ourselves. An intentional choice or decision that we make of resting, dwelling, abiding, staying in God's presence, right? So, if you think about it, those five weapons that we we're given, see, if we come up with this mindset that we dwell, that we rest, that we abide in God's presence, it's going to enable us to be able to use those tools. It's an intentional choice, an intentional decision. Each one of us are going to have to make it for ourselves. It literally has to become a way of thinking, a mindset. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57 but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus. Is that a good news hallelujah verse? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Who, is there anybody here that doesn't like victory? Is there anybody here that likes victory? Turn to your neighbor and say, I like victory. See, here's the thing with victory. Here's the thing with victory. You can't have a victory until you've gone through a fight. You can't have victory until you've been in a battle. Right? You see it? That's why in John 16, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. He doesn't say maybe, he doesn't say might. He says, in this world you'll have trouble. You'll have tribulation. It's going to come. It's going to happen. The key to the life of the miraculous, the key to living that victorious life is to focus on Jesus, to dwell and abide in his presence. See, because when we do that, we will be living it out day by day. And not only will we be living it out day by day, but we'll be bringing other people along with us, Right? We're going to be bringing other people along with us. So 
we look at these verses, Psalm, if we can go back to that, Psalm 91, 1 to 6. The key there is dwelling. The key there is abiding in his refuge. See, if we do that, then it tells us in verse 2, right, if we dwell and abide, if we dwell and abide in his presence, it tells us in verse 2 that he becomes our refuge. What's the name of the church? Refuge, right? If we dwell, when is he your refuge? If you dwell and if you abide. According to these verses, if you dwell, if you abide, then he will be your refuge. The one whom we can trust, also in verse 2. The one who saves us, verse 3. All these things are contingent. It's like an if-then. You see it? It's if-then. If you dwell, if you abide in the presence of God, then he's going to be your refuge. Then he's going to be the one you can trust. Then he's going to be the one who saves you, verse 3, from evil people and evil things. Then he's going to be the one that covers us and protects us like a baby bird, verse 4, right? We don't have to fear evil. We don't have to fear danger, verse 5. Does it promise that it removes the danger? No, it doesn't say him removing the danger. In fact, you can see in these verses the danger is still there. Now, shut your eyes and just ponder. I'm going to give you a couple different phrases here, but ponder on this phrase. Shut your eyes and think about this. True safety, true safety is not found in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. True safety is not found in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. There's a man I know from Africa named Joshua Chegi. He was starting hundreds of churches in a Muslim region of Africa. It was actually expanding out into other countries. I've ministered with this man three or four times. He's getting to be probably, I'd say, 70 years old now. He had, a, he had several Bible colleges that he had personally started. The Muslims hated him. Gave him death threats constantly. They said, we're going to kill you. You either stop it or we're going to kill you. And he'd go and start another church. And he'd, and he'd ordain another pastor to run that church. And he'd go to the next place and do the same thing. And so there were different times. He's got these amazing stories. One, here's one story. One time, the Muslims came to his house. There's him, his wife, and their four daughters, teenage daughters. The Muslims come into the house to kill him. They break through the door. God supernaturally makes them invisible. Literally. They're bumping into him. They can't see him. They can't see him. They're literally bumping into him, touching him. They realize they think they're touching each other. They don't know. But they're just, he said they couldn't talk. They couldn't move. They were frozen, and the people couldn't see him in their own house. It goes on for a period of time. He said it was miraculous. He said all of a sudden at a point, at a point, while they're still in the house, they had all been huddling in a circle in the middle of a bedroom that, the, that they came right into, that they, you know, walking right past them, bumping and whatever. All of a sudden at a point, just like that, he says he doesn't know how it happened, but each one of them were now hidden in a certain just in a twinkling of an eye, like, like Philip being translated, in a twinkling of an eye, all of a sudden, each one of them in a different spot of the house, hidden away. The, the Muslims stayed in the home all night, expecting them to come home because they thought they weren't there. When morning came, they just left. God supernaturally, 100%, the danger was there. See, true safety is not found in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. They were praying, saying, God, protect us. So this, this miraculous thing happens. And that's a real hallelujah story. But if you look at the guy, He's all scarred up real bad. That's because another time at a prayer meeting in this house, when the Muslims came in and found him there, they decided they're going to cut their heads off. And so they tried. Jesus shows up, talks to him, says, it's going to be all right. They're not going to kill you. You're going to live. He feels oil poured over him. He said it was the oil of the Holy Spirit. They're trying to chop his head off, and they couldn't. They try to chop his arms off. They can't. They did a pretty good job. They got down to the bone. I mean, he's, he's definitely scarred up. And so finally... Him and his wife both, they couldn't, they were tr literally trying to chop their heads off, but they couldn't do it. 
And they couldn't understand why their heads wouldn't come off. So they decide they're going to burn them instead. And they dump gas on them, light a match, light the whole place on fire, and just walk out to let it burn. God ends up sending an angel. I mean, this is this crazy story, but God sends an angel, ends up taking, they got the house surrounded with machine guns. People walk up, they become invisible from the church. They kick the door down, drag the pastor and his wife out, put him in a van and drive away, all the while while the Muslims are standing there watching, oblivious to the van, oblivious to the people dragging him out because they're not, they don't want him to come out of the house, right? They've got the house surrounded with machine guns, but they can't see him because God just supernaturally did it. Just like Peter, I mean, the story in the Bible, Peter comes out of jail, right? It's the same exact stuff. See, God is the God of miraculous here and now today. It's not just stuff happening in the Bible. It's still happening around the world, right here in the United States, right here in Stevens Point today. So he ends up getting, uh, just so happened, there was a, a doctor who specialized in plastic surgery from Ohio on a mission trip in that town in Africa who operates on him for like the next month on and off. The guy then moves to the United States and he lives in Duluth, had a church, just retired from the church basically because he's like 70 years old or whatever it is now. But see, true safety isn't found in the absence of danger but in the presence of God. He was in the presence of God both times. The one time it worked out like as Christians would like it to work out. The second time wasn't as pretty. But he let, God said you'll live. And he did live, but he was in God's presence, see? He was tapped into God, and that's what's for us. You look through this. Back to Psalm 91, verse 6. It says that uh, pestilence and plague, sickness, right? It's not going to touch us. It's not going to get to us. Again, shut your eyes for this verse, this, this, this thought. So we said once, tr true safety is not found in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. So if you're here today... If you need a physical miracle, if you're here today and you need a physical miracle, think about this. True healing is not found in the absence of sickness, but in the presence of God. True healing, real true healing, is not found in the absence of sickness, but in the presence of God. Every person that Jesus healed in the Bible, every single one of them, the, the blind, the lame, the deaf, all of them have all died, every single one. Those people have all physically died, and those physical miracles have come to naught, right? Those physical miracles are no longer in use because all those people died, if you think about it. The eight people that were raised from, from the dead in the Bible, from beginning to end, I've, I count eight. The eight people that were raised from the dead, again, those miracles, those people all died again. Jesus raised me from the dead, literally. I'm going to die again unless Jesus comes back first. See, all these things. See, true healing is not found in the absence of sickness, but in the presence of God. Paul said, outwardly, we're wasting away. Right? Doesn't matter. At some point, you know what? I can guarantee everybody in this room is going to die at some point unless Jesus comes back. Pastor Matt has a story where he went to the hospital who a guy was on his deathbed and the family said, come give him his last rites. Pastor Matt says to the guy, do you want me to give you the last rites or do you want me to pray for you to get healed? Because he had uh, something really wrong with his lungs, real bad from smoking. They give him just a couple days to live, right? So he prays for him, not for last rites, but to get healed. The guy gets healed. Walks out of the hospital healed. Pastor Matt tells him, now look, you need God. You should, you know, quit smoking, whatever, all these things. But the man chose to instead use it like a, you know, like a genie in the bottle, like hitting the lottery. And he continued to live his life, continued to do the, live that same lifestyle. He didn't press into God. He chose not to abide in God's presence. And how many years later he died? A year and a half later. And it was lung cancer came back, right? Something was long, came back. He goes from completely healed to losing his healing because he chose not to rest and abide. See, true healing 
listen, true healing is not found in the absence of sickness, but in the presence of God. I prayed for a guy in Hawaii who was given a couple days to live from pancreatic cancer. They brought him into this meeting. Um, a hospice care, couldn't even walk, couldn't even stand. They dragged him in. We prayed for him. He got 100% healed. Literally all the tumors, he goes back in for PET scan. All the tumors are gone. He's 100% healed. I found out he lived five more years and died of a heart attack five years later. Totally cancer-free, totally unrelated issue, die of a heart attack five years later. See, true healing is not found in the absence of sickness, but in the presence of God. That's what we have to keep inside our mind. That's what we have to know. Psalm 91, verse 1, it starts out, right? He who dwells, and then it goes and it talks about he who abides. That's talking about being in his presence. Anytime the Bible tells us something two times in a row means what? We need to listen, right? It's important. So you go to verse 9, so it starts out verse 1, he who dwells, he who abides, and then all these things, if, then. You go to verse 9, Psalm 91, verse 9, and it says the same thing. He repeats himself, and he says this, if you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge. See, God can't be our refuge unless we really make him our dwelling. God can't be our refuge unless we abide in him. That's a daily choice. That's an intentional decision for all of us. Sure, we're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things wrong. But it's a, you know, it says his mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new. We get a new start every single day. Every day we get to make the choice. Am I going to abide in God today? Am I going to dwell in God today? And I'll be the first to admit it. You know what? There's plenty of days I blow it, me personally. I blow it. But God is always there to forgive. God is always there to say, you know what? Let's try again. Let's start over. So the last statement, closing statement. Again, shut your eyes and think of this. If you're here today, you needed some kind of an emotional healing. You have got some kind of, maybe it's an addiction issue. Maybe it's a fear issue. Maybe it's depression. I don't know. Something on the inside. Listen to this. True peace is not found in the absence of chaos and strife, but in the presence of God. I'm going to repeat. True peace is not found in the absence of chaos and strife, but in the presence of God. Parents with little children, parents with high school children, whatever, middle-aged kids, there's going to be strife. There's going to be chaos. If you're married, there's going to be strife. There's going to be chaos in your marriage. It's going to come. It's going to happen. There's going to be disagreements. At work, it's going to happen. At your church, it's going to happen. These things are just going to come. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. True peace is not found in the absence of chaos and strife, but in the presence of God. Right? In this world, you will have trouble. You have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. It's a promise that he's going to deliver us. And it's interesting, when Jesus was saying that, it's written to believers. He wasn't just saying, oh, you unbelievers, you're going to have trouble. But if you're a believer, you're not going to have any trouble. Uh-uh. That's not who Jesus was talking to. Jesus was saying to the believers, in this world, believer, you'll have trouble. You have tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. The, the difference is, we're going to go through stuff. The crap, is going to get the, the crap is going to hit the fan sometimes, and sometimes we're going to get stinky, Right? But are we going to choose to live and abide in his presence? Are we going to choose to live and abide in his presence even when it's a stinky situation? Even when things aren't the way we want it to be? Even if the prayer didn't get answered the way that we wanted it answered? Are we going to choose to live and abide in his presence? I was ministering in Florida. I had been ministering all week long. I had driven from one side of the state to the other side of the state. I was bouncing all around place to place. This was the last service of the, of the thing. I now had to drive from clear down on the uh, eastern border. I had to drive across 
Florida to where I originally flew in to return my rental car, and I knew I was only going to get two or three, maybe four hours of sleep that night. Um, it was late. There were several hundred people that wanted prayer, and the worship team had given up praying during the, while I was praying, I'd said, you know, worship team, play while I'm praying. And they did it for about two hours. And after about two hours, they just put in a CD. And now the CD is just, you know, looping through. And now it's like midnight, and I'm still praying for people. And we saw, you know, the Lord do a bunch of miracles. But it just got to a point. I just wanted to go back to where I needed to sleep. I was tired. I was done. And no more miracles were happening. And it just, it just went dead. And I was thinking, this is a, it's a waste of time. All these, these last 50 people want prayer. This is just a waste of time. And, uh, you know, I was just like, oh, God, can I, Lord, I just would like to just go back and try and sleep for a couple hours before I have to drive across Florida. And I was kind of complaining to them in my mind, right? So they changed the CD, and when they changed the CD, because it had looped through a couple times, when they changed the CD, it went to a song that was actually one that I can really, me personally, enter in and, and praise the Lord on. And so the Lord said, you know what? There's a, a guy, the next guy came to stand in front of me, um, a um, Mexican guy standing in front of me, and the Lord said, don't pray for him. Just shut your eyes, stop, and start worshiping. So I began to worship, and it was an extended version of this particular song, the song You Won't Relent, right? And uh, so it was, an ex- it was the extended version, like a long, like maybe nine or ten minute version of that song. And so for nine or ten minutes, all of a sudden I get lost in worship. I'm literally lost in worship, and I start singing out loud, which I normally am not going to do when nobody else is singing, because it's just a CD. And now I'm singing with the CD, and I forget where I'm at. I'm that gone. I forget where I'm at. And I'm like, now I'm not just singing. I'm like belting it out, like top of my lungs, right? And I get the song ends, and when it ends, and I'm like just lost in this presence of God, which felt so good, I realize where I'm at and what I just did. And I'm like, I don't even want to open my eyes, right? (laughs) I don't want to open my eyes because I know everybody's going to be looking at me like I'm some kind of freak. So I'm just like, oh, Lord, what should I do? And he's like, just reach out and touch that guy. Don't, don't, don't ask him what his prayer request is. Just reach out and touch him. So I just kept my eyes shut, and I reached out and touched him. When I touched him, I hear, bang, 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 bang. There was these metal chairs. The power of God hit the guy so hard, it was like a lightning bolt that hit him, and he literally went through like three or four rows of chairs, like bang, 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 and he's all in a ball like right there, right? So he stayed there for a long time. In fact, enough for me to pray through the rest of the people. The guy sent me an email, I don't know, three months later, four months later, and he said, I'm the guy, and he goes through this email and tells me his whole thing. And he said, while I was unconscious on the floor, slain the spirit, whatever you, know, you want to say, he said, while I was there, he said, I had a throne room encounter with Jesus. I was like taken right to the throne of Jesus. And he said, you know, God was telling me some things about my life that needed to get fixed. God was telling me how much he loved me. He goes, it's a life change. He goes, my life has changed. And if you think about it, it's like this. There's going to be times where we feel tired. There's going to feel times where we're beat up. There's going to be times where we're just not happy. If we can make that intentional choice, now this is, a, this is where it applies to you and me, right? If we can make that intentional choice, that intentional decision to enter into his presence, if we can do that, it's going to give us the peace. We're going to have that, that breakthrough that we need, but more importantly, it's going to be for everybody else as well. So that guy was affected. See, that guy was affected because we made the, I made the intentional choice decision to enter in and say, God, I need your presence. I want to dwell and abide in you. So, Lord, we just lift this up right now, and we just pray, help us, teach us, show us how to dwell. Show us how to abide in you and in your presence so that we can live that miraculous life, so we can have the miraculous life here and now today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. For more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages for free, visit us online at wearerefuge.net.